Hey everyone, you're listening to the Climbing Advocate Podcast. I'm your host, Peter Horgan. This show brings you advocates from across the country to speak about their experiences and advocacy work that happens beyond the crag. This includes climbing advocates that work on a local scale, policy professionals, athletes, and all others in between that have a deep love for the climbing environment. My aim is to connect more climbers to the work that these advocates do and inspire everyone that no matter how big or small, they have an opportunity to get involved and do their part. This show is brought to you in partnership with Access Fund. For nearly 30 years, Access Fund has been the organization that has kept our beloved climbing resources conserved and cared for. From stewardship to influencing climbing policy and educating current and new climbers on the best responsible behavior, Access Fund is on it. As they say, no crag is too big or too small to not have its interests represented. Support Access Fund by visiting accessfund.org and by supporting your local climbing organization. The show is also supported by Gnarly Nutrition. We want to thank Gnarly Nutrition for being a supporter of Access Fund and the Climbing Advocate Podcast. Gnarly Nutrition and its employees recognize that it is a privilege to visit and recreate in outdoor spaces. They believe that these spaces should be protected and safe for all to recreate in. Gnarly Nutrition. Want more. Do more. Be more. Hey everyone, welcome to the latest installment of the Climbing Advocate Podcast, episode number 37. A conversation with Access Fund's new Indian Creek Climber stewards, Lauren Hebert and Johanna Kogan. I hope everyone had a wonderful holiday season and your New Year is off to a great start. I'm excited to bring you this episode to kick off the new year. I got to close out 2021 with these ladies chatting about spending their fall season in Indian Creek as they educated climbers and non-climbers alike on some of the most pressing issues that we are seeing in the creek these days. Lauren and Johanna share with us some of the details of the new program, what a typical conversation looked like when they chatted with a new or seasoned creek climber, and some of their reflections on what impacts and changes they have personally seen over the years visiting the creek on their own time. You very well may have seen Lauren and Johanna standing behind their information table at some of the more popular areas in the creek, such as the Super Crack and Donnelly Canyon parking lot and the intersection of Highway 211 and Beef Basin Road. I gotta say, the Beef Basin spot is a perfect spot to be in as it is a major corridor to all the climbing out towards the Bridger Jacks and further down Beef Basin Road. And not only that, it's a pretty darn good spot to be in line, or excuse me, it's a pretty good spot to be to catch people while they wait in line to do their business. If you have driven past the bathroom between the hours of 8 a.m. and 10 a.m. on a weekend, you know what I'm talking about. I can speak from personal experience here, having worked with these kind of human presence positions in my line of work in land conservation, and that having a human presence at popular recreational corridors, trailheads, and places like Indian Creek have a measurable impact on people's behavior and understanding of an area. Given the attention that Indian Creek and the Greater Bears Ears National Monument has received over the last five to ten years, it's only drawn more visitors, and to us climbers, it's probably pretty obvious that visitation has increased dramatically. Parking lots are full, all the best routes have a line in them, and rolling in at 10 or 11 p.m. on a Friday night looking for a campsite, like I often do after work, would make anyone's blood pressure rise and heart race. That might be an overkill, but you know what I mean. (laughs) The right approach is to not close the doors and stop people from coming, but rather equip them with the tools and knowledge for when they do get there, or better yet, before they even leave the house. While this is a new endeavor for Access Fund, the Climber Steward model, 
that was used in Indian, Creek, in Indian Creek this fall is largely based off the program that's been happening in Yosemite for about a decade now, as well as in Joshua Tree with their Climber Coffee program that they've had going on since 2016, I believe. And I somehow forgot to mention that Lauren and Johanna pour free coffee at their table while they're out there chumming it up with all the climbers that are passing through. And if that's not a good enough reason to stop and say hi to them, I don't know what is. So when all you Creek Freaks start making the trek back to Indian Creek this spring, be sure to stop and say hi and thank them for their work. All right, let's jump into it here. Please enjoy my conversation with Lauren Hebert and Johanna Kogan. I typically wear an Axis Fund shirt or hat while I'm doing the recording just to kind of set the tone, get in the mood, you know, just kind of get in the zone for the whole thing. Exactly. I like it. It yeah. brings me into the space, <laughs> ready to chat. <laughs> I appreciate it. Yeah. You know, I was reading the uh, the Climber Steward article in the latest Vertical Times. I'm sure you have both seen that. Um and the shirt you're wearing, Lauren, that green long sleeve looks really nice. Oh, yeah. Tiptoe around the crypto. <laughs> yeah. Good color. Yep. Good message. Is that the one you're wearing right now? I'm wearing a different one that has the same uh, image. <laughs> okay, gotcha. <laughs> awesome. Good deal. You're both in different spots. Uh, Lauren, we chatted on the phone quickly yesterday, and you're in Los Angeles. And Johanna, you're in Tucson. Do you both uh, spend time? Is that are those your, your respective hometowns? Is that where you spend uh, winter seasons? Or I want to kind of since you did the climber steward like this fall, I was curious where y'all might spend the rest of your year and what you're all up to uh, during those other seasons. Yeah, um, actually, I'm just visiting my grandparents in Tucson right now. I'm from Portland and kind of based out of there in the off seasons. Nice. What do you do in Portland? Um, a variety of things. This winter, I'm just going to be kind of working in the service industry and focusing more of my energy on skiing and uh, getting ready to go back in the, to the creek in the spring. Nice. So you're returning to the uh, climber steward position? I am. I just decided like last weekend. Nice. Right on. Cool. How about you, Lauren? Um, so I live part of the year in Moab now, actually. So I'll be spending the winter there. Um, nice. I'm out in California because I was working for Outward Bound in Joshua Tree. And then I'm seeing some family here in LA. So I'll be headed back to, to Moab in like a week or so. Cool. Are you from the LA area originally? Um, no, I'm, I'm originally from Washington State. So Joe and I are Pacific Northwest desert converts. <laughs> <laughs> What's your plan in Moab for the winter? You know, I'm going to do some nesting at first um, <laughs> and kind of take it from there going into the spring and working that out. And I also um, guide up in the Cascades. I'll be doing that next summer. So oh, nice. kind of like getting some good inside time for a little yeah. bit, at least for about a month. <laughs> yeah, right on. Have you, have either of you, did you, either of you spend, uh, spent a significant amount of time or a fair amount of time in Indian Creek before taking on the position as the climber steward? Yeah, I would say we both did. Uh, I started going there maybe like five years ago or so, just kind of incorporating trips whenever I could. Um, always coming from the West Coast, so it was a significant drive, but right. yeah, there's definitely a reason I kept coming back or many reasons, I should say. <laughs> 
Nice. How about you, Lauren? Yeah, I first climbed in the creek um, in 2011. So I've been climbing there about 10 years. It's been definitely a regular part of my seasonal rotation. Um, so I've climbed there a fair amount and just explored around there a fair amount outside of climbing that area. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, it's such a huge area, the Bears Ears in general. You know, it's a whole national oh monument. Gosh. We can give a big hurrah for the, you know, the reinstatement of the of the original boundaries of the monument and everything. And yeah, have you ever been to Fish and Owl Canyons, like a little bit south, down closer to like Bluff? Yeah, I've been down, you know, poked around Cedar Mesa. I haven't been in those canyons specifically, but I know what you're talking about. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. So, so much to explore. Yeah. I get, I always, I always get sucked in like just going to the Creek, but spent a little bit of time exploring some of the other areas and appreciate yeah what the whole area has to offer outside of just the rock climbing, of course. Well, it's great to have you both on today. It's, it's a, it's a continuation of sorts for, on the Indian Creek slash Bears Ears theme from the lap, last episode I recorded with Luke Mihal. Uh, I got to record that in Indian Creek uh, right around, right before Thanksgiving time. And I wanted to get you two on the show today to talk about the Access Fund's uh, new Climber Steward Program in Indian Creek. As we just uh, had mentioned, both of you were the stewards for this fall season. Yeah, the, t- the two of you spent the fall season as the climber stewards in this pilot program, talking with uh, visiting climbers, giving them information and resources on how to keep their impact to a minimum, and providing free coffee, of course. <laughs> I drove past you both at Beef Basin on, I think that was a Sunday, uh, on my way to go climb, and I really wanted to stop and introduce myself, but I, I was not driving, so I was kind of on someone else's schedule, so I kind of had to cruise by real quick. But got to see the setup a little bit, and get you know your table out and all the pamphlets and info and stuff. And you know, at Beef Basin, I found it kind of funny. You know, you're positioned really strategically right there, fairly <laughs> close to the bath, fairly close to the bathroom where the line is just always down the road, so you can really easily get people's attention and talk to people there while they're waiting in line. <laughs> The one in uh, Super Crack is probably fairly close to the bathroom as well. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, let's uh, let's jump into like what the climbing steward position was all about, and I have a, a general idea. Um, just a little anecdote I want to share later, but I have some experience working with river stewards in the same kind of capacity. So I have a, ge- a pretty general idea of what you all are up to and what kind of information you all were sharing with climbers and stuff. But why don't you tell the listeners and everyone tuning in about the position and how it came about and what it all entailed, what you guys were up to while you're out there. Yeah, mainly, mainly the position at the root of it is just like talking to people. Um, which is great. It's a lot of just like relationship building, both with like climbers and other folks coming through that area and also other like stakeholders um, in the creek. Um, We did a lot of like answering questions, kind of served as like a hub of information. Sometimes we thought of ourselves as like the human message board (laughs) a couple times. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, it's really was just about being a presence, obviously making coffee our percolator coffee got a lot of compliments throughout the season. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, beyond that, it was a lot of just like us working together to create engaging ways um, to have conversations with folks kind of organically and like get a little deeper um, into some like the pertinent issues and things we wanted to, kind of like goals we were, we were hoping for through the stewardship program. Um, 
so yeah, I don't know, Joe, if you want to add on to that. Yeah, I think up to? totally. Just I think the to speak a little bit to where this program came from, you know, the creek obviously has seen such an increase in popularity over the last like five, 10, 20 years or so. And there are tons of impacts that are coming along with that. So I know the Access Fund uh, did this big survey last spring to try to figure out what the climbing community felt like were the biggest issues Indian Creek was facing. And a lot of folks thought that having sewers down to be that like educational connection, particularly for folks who are new to the creek or like new to the desert, uh, would be really useful in helping us as a community decrease our impacts there and just like interact with the desert in a more conscious uh, conscious way, really. So I think that's kind of how the position was like thought up. And I know that, or but that's some of the reasoning behind it. I know that it was like in the works for a while before it actually came to fruition. Uh, but yeah, to second what Lauren was saying, we were down there just educating climbers and answering questions and also kind of like spending a significant time there, making sure that we can kind of absor- observe firsthand some of the impacts throughout the course of a season that uh, folks are having on the space to kind of both report back to like the Bureau of Land Management and other uh, stakeholders in the area, just so we can all work together to decrease our impact in the most strategic way <laughs> over the next years. This is not like a novel uh, idea, I guess. I mean, I know, I know, you know, Ty, have I, Ty, and myself have gone back and forth a little bit over the years. And he's told me like, I, you know, I can't wait to get this program going. And he's, t- you know, he's told me that, you know, years ago. I feel like, and you know, Joshua Tree has got a similar kind of program with Climate Coffee. Yosemite's got a similar program. But as far as the Access Fund goes this is the first time that they've had a program like this. So getting it off the ground and, and implementing this, these strategic resources, just like you said, um, will go a long way with the people that you're talking to and the Bureau of Land Management. And, you know, Bureau of Series has been under the, under the microscope for quite some time now over the last five, 10 years, like you mentioned. And um, just with not just the climbing itself, but just the back and forth with, with its designation and what's going on politically there. Uh, it's bringing a lot of attention to it. You know, the the, the conservation team spends quite a bit of time there. And the, while they might interact with the public uh, here and there, you know, they're there to put shovels in the ground and uh, fix trails and things of that nature. So having a differentiated position such as this to focus on educational efforts, you know, the, the way that you two might complement each other. I mean, I really think Bears Ears and Indian Creek is headed in a great direction because uh, it's just no one's going away that the, the people are going to, I think, probably keep coming, which I don't know if this necessarily is a bad thing, but uh, I think we can be smart about how, the, how these people come because they're coming anyway. Do either of you have any previous experience? I don't want to make this sound like a job job interview, but do you have any previous experience working as a ranger or trail crew or any kind of uh, conservation-related work? Uh, I don't personally have experience in like the ranger trail crew world or like necessarily conservation. My background is more in like uh, outdoor education and work and involvement with social movements. Um, so I've worked at like an outdoor adventure camp. I did AmeriCorps for a year in Portland. And when I was in school, I studied social movements and was working a lot with like human services type nonprofits. So that's more where I'm coming in from. Yeah. So that, I mean, face-to-face interaction with, with people, I mean, education, education background is obviously going to be a huge, uh, set and tool for you to use in this position. 
Totally. And I think that in conjunction with like, you know, my lived experience and personal connection with the outdoors is kind of where I'm coming from as far as like the desire to work in the conservation space and stewardship space. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. How about you, Lauren? Yeah. So I, my undergraduate degree was in environmental science, but since then, um, kind of over the past eight years, I've been similarly more in like the outdoor education, environmental education, leading expedition realm of things. Um, so that kind of played into this position well in terms of like the communication and education background, which is so much a part of what we were doing out there. And I was also thinking about it kind of from like my expedition background, like big part of that is like fostering a group culture, right? In like your little unit that's traveling through. And I was thinking that how that applied to this. It's like creating that group culture of like climbers and people who are in the creek of like having like some norms and like having a positive group culture that that just like played into what we were doing. So education, communication, that's kind of where I was coming from. And then just spending a lot of time both in the creek and outside. Yeah, something that that just like reminded me of Lauren is like kind of kind of what you were getting at is we were trying to like bolster a community of like self-regulation so that we can continue to kind of like self-regulate within the climbing community rather than have more regulation coming in from outside organizations just as kind of like another looping back to the goals of the program sort of thing yeah yeah of course um you know regulation everyone probably scoffs at it uh but it's a necessary evil in uh in in certain instances and you know with the new permitting uh that came from came in, into Yosemite here in the last year or so, you know, it, it kind of scares people, um, especially people that have been climbing in Indian Creek for decades. And um, if we could maybe stay away from that as much as possible, that could behoove, that could be beneficial for everyone. And, you know, with the, with a human presence like you all have, just in my experience working with, uh, with educational stewards and things, um, you know, they can't, you guys won't be there forever nor can you be there forever. You can't have a steward at every trailhead across the country to educate folks in the way that you are. So if you instill a certain ethic and certain behavioral standard, I think um, that will turn into self-regulation in, in positive ways. Totally. And I think like another arm of this program is creating those really positive relationships uh, and communicative relationships with all the different stakeholders in the area, because the creek actually has many. Um, so that's been, that was like a large part of our role, I would say as well. Yeah. Do you want to g- give some more uh, color to who the stakeholders are? Yeah, totally. Um, I think like the people we communicated with the most frequently were uh, folks with Monticello Bureau of Land Management and then also the folks at the Dugout Ranch. And uh, the Dugout Ranch is a ranch that's been there for over 100 years within the bounds of the creek. And uh, it's the Red family who owns the ranch. And we communicated with like the with Matt and Heidi and Kristen. Those are like the main family living there. But out of the dugout ranch, Kristen also runs the Canyonland Research Center. And uh, they're actually also run by the Nature Conservancy. Um, if Lauren wanted to elaborate a little bit more on that, I know that you know a little maybe the details a little bit better than I do. Um, so those were the people we were probably communicating most with on like a day-to-day week-to-week basis but the there are other stakeholders like 
Um, obviously, all the folks who, uh, indigenous folks who are like tied to that land. And we had some folks like at the beginning of the program, specifically Aaron Mike, who's the Native Lands Coordinator for the Access Fund, come in and kind of like provide us with some perspective and history and like his view and relationship with uh, the creek. And then also there's like state trust folks who own some state land um, out in the creek. So it's a really big mishmash of lots of people <laughs> and organizations. It's a really big place. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. In that picture in the, uh, in the vertical times, y'all are kind of like jumping in the air, all excited to get the program started with Andrea and Ty and Mike and everything. And, and Chris, yeah, Chris is in there too. Um, did, I'm curious, this is kind of an off the cuff question, but, uh, during that training and listening to Aaron talk about the native values of the area, did that influence your, your communication with folks? Did that uh, influence your view on the place, uh, and change maybe your perception a little bit than it was prior to jumping onto this position? One of the perspectives that Aaron shared um, during that weekend, kind of in his opening talk, was just a way of viewing the space, not as like individual like cultural sites, like a, a unique petroglyph or like a unique structure and how we're relating to those, but rather that folks who are from and have been on that land for years view the whole space as sacred. Um, it's not just about the individual components. It's, it's the whole landscape is a sacred landscape. Um, and that really st stuck with me and kind of definitely affected how I'm thinking about the, the place and even how I'm moving through it when I was climbing and out and about. And I think it also impacted how we, or how we talked with folks about like cultural resources and just like that side of the Creek. So that was pretty impactful for me as a different like lens to think about the landscape. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think that that inspired curiosity within both of us. And we became a lot more observant in our time at the Creek as well. And again, like Lauren said, we're trying to share that with folks as we interacted with them at Climber Coffee uh, and at the Crag and such. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I'd be lying if I said I wasn't influenced uh, by what Aaron has told me before I had him on the show a while back and, you know, I followed him ever since then a few years ago. And yeah, his perspective and like Len Neff's perspective on the whole place. And yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that, Lauren, just kind of thinking about the whole place as one big collective, not as individual sites. The whole place is sacred. And, and I, f I f yeah, I feel lucky to be able to to spend a lot of time there. You know, I spend every spring and fall there. I mean, I don't spend like the entire seasons there, but you know, definitely get out there a couple times, a couple, three times each season. And, um, you know, to be able to work collaboratively with the uh, indigenous folks out there is, uh, is pretty special in helping, uh, yeah, contribute and, and manage the area. I feel like we're in a pretty unique position as rock climbers there. Totally. And I think another goal of this program is to kind of like continue to grow that relationship and, uh, see land management as like something that is collaborative between climbing and outdoor recreation communities and indigenous folks. Um, and put that, having that as a model for other climbing areas all around the country in a way that we're moving forward. Yeah, it's great. It's great to be a service that serve as that model. I got to meet Kristen red, uh, at the, at the dugout ranch. Um, 
let's see, like two years ago, I led a field trip out there when I was in, uh, when I was doing my master's degree, I, I put together a field trip for, for my class as a public lands management class. And I'm like, we should go to Bears Ears and go to the dugout ranch. And it was definitely felt weird pulling into the Creek with no climbing gears. It was my first and only time only going, going to the Creek with no gear, but, uh, we we're there for a different reason. And, and, uh, Kristen gave us a tour of the dugout ranch and everything. And how was, uh, how, you know, how was working with her, uh, this, this fall, what's their, what's their perception of the rock climbers and, and, uh, the impacts that we may have on cattle on, you know, some of their land is, is everything copacetic and, and kosher with them? Working with Kristen and just the whole family and folks at the Canyonlands Research Center and the Dugout Ranch, it was so lovely. Like, they were so warm and welcoming to us and caring and just, like, we're very supportive of of our efforts and our comfort out there. And, yeah, I think, you know, like, I, I don't think I've been climbing there long enough to have fully experienced like this, but I know this is something we would talk about with folks. Like there are some like lingering, like, is it a negative relationship between the ranchers? And I think with like both the work of the access fund folks over the years, like it feels like a pretty positive relationship right now, just through all the communication and everyone cares about the place deeply, um, including the folks at the ranch. Like they, they just want to see it taken care of. And so, um, just like us and just like lots of other people. So I think that relationship is in a really solid place. And I have only lovely things to say about how they treated us and supported our work. Um, Yeah. And it was really fun. Like we got to help out with some of the, or one of the um, projects out there, kind of like a riparian restoration experiment that's going on. Um, There's lots of other um, climate change and like environmental related projects, like research projects going on out of there. So learned a ton through that. Um, and I hope to continue to be involved in the future, even just as like a, a climber down there. Yeah, absolutely. I agree a hundred percent with what everything that Lauren was saying. And also I think like kind of to try to like continue to break down that misconception that there is maybe some negative energy between the ranch and climbers at climber coffee we were trying to like bring up what the ranch was doing and like we even had some folks from the ranch come out to a couple of climber coffees just to try to like bridge that connection um and yeah strength strengthen that relationship even further great that's awesome yeah i think there is uh some kind of myth perhaps or misconception about the what that relationship might be and i'm glad um glad everything's going well and having them participate in the climber coffee that's really great i'm curious what those conversations might look like when someone came up to the table did you have was there like a typical jumping off point for you both uh typical conversation and you know the usual go-to bullet points or did it just kind of depend on what people were interested in um might be curious about how you might approach a new Indian Creek climber versus a seasoned Indian Creek climber that may happen to know more about the place or, you know, they think they might do everything right and don't leave an impact. Um, so what did, the, what did, uh, what did that conversation, how did those, those things kick off when someone walked up to the table to talk to you? Totally. Like, I think kind of to what you were saying, we would tailor our conversations to the person that was coming up. But um, if someone kind of came up and was just like, give us your spiel or like, what are your things that you talk about most often, you know, 
um, our, some of our like hot topics that we brought up frequently were how to properly dispose of waste, both like human, dog, and trash, the importance of staying on trail, appropriate ways to interact with cultural resources uh, in the creek. We had like a whole dispersed camping talk that I would say was probably one of our most talked about uh, topics of conversation. Mm-hmm. And then just some like information about the Greater Ear- uh, Bears Ears National Monument and Canyonlands as like our general topics. Um, that I think that if it was like maybe a conversation with one of the newer climbers or like someone's first time to the creek, um, we would maybe ask about like, do you know what cryptobiotic soil crust is? Uh, do you know what happens when you walk off trail? So like kind of bringing some ex- experiences into that and like covering some of the basics, because uh, that can be super helpful for people that maybe haven't really interacted with the desert that much. Uh, and for folks that have maybe been coming to the creek for like 15 or 20 years and like are very connected with the space, definitely tried to just like open up the conversation more to like see what questions they had for us and try to provide some nuance to their understanding um, of the space already. Yeah, and we had a lot of fun, you know, once we had the basics of how we make the coffee and how we pop up the tent, like all that, <laughs> all that kind of like dialed after a couple of weeks, we had a lot of fun creating, creating different resources as ways to like delve a little deeper. Like we created two full different Jeopardy games um, with kind of like varying point levels of questions that we would just set that out. And that was a nice, like, organic way to just, like, more start discussion. And then, you know, people get a sticker and they're stoked. (laughs) Um, Yeah, but to, like, get a little more into the, like, talking about, like, paleontology or, like, more in-depth about the ranching practices or, like, geology. Like, um, so that was a fun, you know, we had fun with that, bringing our own flair to it as a way to both engage at, like, kind of, like, the basic level of, like, this is a wag bag to like, you know, talking about dinosaur bones or whatever it is. <laughs> <laughs> was that part of the training, uh, getting, getting lessons on archeology, span paleontology and ranching, or did you already have some of that knowledge coming into it? I would say it's more of like a continued learning thing for ourselves. Would you concur with that, Lauren? Yeah. And also it was great. Like, few times throughout the season we went on these kind of like excursions with with specialists um like we went out with um an archaeologist from the blm one day and he just like took us around and like told us things and we asked him a ton of questions so then that provided us with more information to share um same like with the ranch like we went out with Kristen and kind of did a little tour and got to like see like what's actually like important that we're passing along to climbers um, so there was some of that, some of our own research, and then some of what we were coming in with already. Right on. What, what did you, were you getting more, do you know what the ratio was between new creek climbers or, and seasoned creek climbers? Were you getting more of one than the other? I wouldn't say we kept data on that specifically, but to me at least, it felt like a pretty good mix throughout the season. Like There was plenty of new folks and also plenty of people who've been coming for a long time. The question we probably got the most was just, so what are you doing here? Like, tell us about your job. I think that was just because it's our first 
season down there and people hadn't really interacted with us and were curious about the program. So that's probably the question we answered the most number of times, I think. We had, you know, out on our table set up, we for had some good resources and visuals for a lot of those like frequently asked things, like some great detailed maps showing the camping and like a thing about, you know, sandstone effort rain. So what do those questions from for for the Jeopardy game look like? How'd you put that all together? I'm a little curious about that. That's pretty cool. We well, we just had like a whiteboard um, that we ended up putting all the Jeopardy questions on, just like handwritten by Lauren. Um, but we had like a brainstorm and research day where we like came up with some different categories that were like interesting to us, but we thought would also be relevant to like obviously stewardship. Um, and I think that was kind of how it came to be. We were kind of trying to like figure out ways to spruce up the program and make it a little bit more um, like enriching as far as the the content that we were uh, putting out there. But I think, yeah, we did like climbing history in the creek, geology, um, ecology, so like plants and uh, best practices as far as like crag etiquette goes. So those were some of our, our hot topics. I think one of my favorite um like 100 level questions though that we had was what year was super crack first climbed on hexes because it always sparked people's curiosity Mm, i should know the answer to that because i've watched the documentary about it (laughs) Uh, god i feel i'm embarrassed that i don't know (laughs) what's your what's your best guess (laughs) uh 73 it's close it was 76 76 damn all right uh, i'm not gonna forget <laughs> it now have, have you have you all seen that that documentary uh luxury liner no andrea told us to watch it i still haven't maybe yeah, after yeah. this interview i'll look it up <laughs> <laughs> we get meaning to but you know there's no connection in the creek so <laughs> yeah totally um did you ever did you have the question what was super crack originally named i think on the question we had it written as that or do you mean luxury liner or something else yeah yeah like what was the yeah what yeah. was what did uh, earl wiggins first name it you know it's super <laughs> crack kind of came after but yeah luxury liner was the original name that'd, that'd be a good question <laughs> that would be maybe we asked some people that but not vice versa <laughs> yeah i mean did you have the jeopardy questions like in the form of jeopardy with like the answer on the board and then someone had to come up with the question or was it the other way around so for the one we had just out at coffee, um, people could just pick a question and answer it. Mm-hmm. But then we actually, um, Johanna had a great idea um, on the second to last weekend, we had a whole game day that we organized um, and we made a whole different Jeopardy for that. And we played it like Jeopardy. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> That's very creative. I love it. How long was the season? When did you get there and when did you leave? It was 10 weekends total. So we started the first weekend in October and went through the first weekend in December. And you rotated between several different spots. I know Beef Basin and Super Crack, Buttress, Donnelly Canyon parking lot for sure. Um, Were there a couple of campgrounds in there as well? Fridays. On Fridays, we were at Super Bowl campground. And then we were living and camp hosting in Creek Pasture. So we had a presence there as well. 
Oh, nice. Was there interaction, much interaction being a camp host? Were you doing the same kind of thing, talking to folks, or was that a little bit more nuanced maybe to the campground itself? I think that uh, most of the folks that were staying at Creek Pasture were climbers, maybe more so even than a Super Bowl campground. So um, those conversations came up a lot more organically, like around a fire and um, not super consistently, but they did happen. And then for folks that like would maybe come and stay at Creek Pasture that were not climbers, we got, I got more like formal campground host questions from them, uh, <laughs> which was a little interesting, just like how much is the campsite? How long mm-hmm. can we stay here? Those sorts of things. Yeah. Did you, I was, I was curious about that. If any non climbers approached you all, um, maybe not in the campground host, uh, uh, position or spot, but when you're behind the table, you know, access fund gear, everything, did you, were you educating anyone passing through going to like Canyonlands about something about the climbing there and what y'all were up to? Yeah, we, we had a fair amount of folks come to the table. Um, definitely not like a large percentage of people we were talking to, but we were just passing through, maybe going out to the Needles district. So I had some conversations just even explaining like the basics of climbing and what they were seeing as we're standing in the Donnelly Canyon parking lot um, or what the ac- who the access fund um, is. Um, so yeah, we, we definitely got some some talking time, some FaceTime with, with folks who were not climbers. That's great. I think that's pretty important. I think there was like a few more of those folks than I personally anticipated. And it, from what we heard from the Bureau of Land Management, it's been like, you know, an increasing trend that more and more folks who are not climbers are coming to visit Indian Creek and even like looking for hiking and just like exploring the cultural resources there. So it was cool to get to interact with the, that different demographic as well. Part of why we did the Super Bowl campground coffee as well was to to reach out to some of those folks because um, in the like diminished Bears Ears boundaries, Super Bowl was the only campground that was still, or the only pay campground that was still technically in Bears Ears National Monument. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a higher percentage of like folks just out hiking or um, backpacking or doing the RV thing in that campground. Um, yep. So that was part of why we did that coffee to reach reach out to those folks. Gotcha. Cool. Yeah. Very holistic. I love it. I think I read that you were doing uh, some kind of survey or data collection. Is that right? That was, um, I think that's definitely a place, like a growth point for this program and position is like that can continue to build. Um, we did some things like question of the day. We would like take that up to the crag and that was <laughs> gathering data in a way. Um, mm-hmm. But I think that's a goal for the program and something that they can continue to build in future seasons. Totally. And there was that survey that the Access Fund put out last spring that right. potentially was maybe the survey you were thinking of. Um, and like the the only types of data that we really did collect was just the number of people that we interacted with while we were doing Climber Coffee and Crag Chats um, and the numbers of, or the cups of coffee served. And for both of those numbers, um, we had over 1,000 people we interacted with over the season and more than 600 cup, cups of coffee that we served last I heard. <laughs> <laughs> How many of those uh, 600 cups were drunk by you two? <laughs> we did. An, ad- an additional 600. Yeah, yeah there you go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Off the record. <laughs> 
Well, it's cool. The crack chats. Uh, so that's a little bit of a different, you know, different approach, I guess, like literally and figuratively you're going up to folks while, while they're climbing or, you know, hanging out by the, uh, by the base of the route or, or something. Like how did the, how did that look and how did that differ from being behind the table? Yeah. I think a lot of the times the content that we were talking about was pretty similar, but maybe a little bit more tailored to like the actual climber or climbing experience and like where, what people were doing in that moment. Um, but the approach was totally different. You know, it felt like, uh, extra informal and like we had to kind of do some figuring out throughout the season with how to make it feel not just like we were approaching as fellow climbers, but also as stewards. Um, Mm -hmm. but I think that we got like some really positive interactions through crag chats and uh, the creek is kind of a unique place where I guess like sport crags could could do this in general as well. But there's always like really big groups of people. So a lot of times there's large groups of people hanging out at the base of the crag. It's not just like two people uh, trading off belays all the time. So it was like cool to interact with like groups of five to ten friends up there at once that are kind of just like hanging out with the dogs while a couple people climb. Did you target certain crags to go to? Or, or did you, yeah, did you like just pick out like, hey, we're to go to the catwall today and talk to people? How did you uh, work through that? We tried to go where where there was more people um, just to increase like the amount of people we'd be able to talk to, kind of like developed our like main crags that we would visit throughout the season. Like when we did the coffee at Super Crack, we would either go up to Donnelly Battle of the Bulge or Super Crack after that. Um, and sometimes we would just kind of look, look at the parking areas too and see where, where there was maybe more cars parked, but still a place for us to park responsibly. And then we'd go up there. <laughs> yeah. Good call. <laughs> you don't want the access fund vehicle. If you were driving one, pulling up and yeah, parking, uh, incorrectly or in the wrong spot <laughs> that would that wouldn't look too good no. <laughs> <laughs> uh I, in that uh, again i've been referencing this uh this article in the vertical times uh, a bunch but another point in there that i read was about uh, supporting biologists uh, monitoring raptor habitats and archaeologists and botanists um how much was that uh, a part of your position and when you're away from the table like you're you're at those big areas, those very strategic corridors and such on the weekends uh, during busy times. Were you well, roaming around some more during the week? Yeah, I think um, the raptors are going to be really big in the spring. I think it's going to be super helpful, um, especially with the voluntary avoidance areas, to have stewards um, who have the most current information about that. It is something we like started planting the seed with folks like, this is going to happen. So maybe climb at these walls that consistently close now. Um, yeah. And I think our, our time with the archeologist really opened our eyes to some of those um, keeping our eye to cultural resources up at the walls. And so that was something we'd be like, Oh, actually there is a petroglyph pretty close to this one climb. And we'd maybe point it out to folks or widen their gaze around those things. Yeah, and in the week we were doing a mix of, you know, scoping the scene and also getting our own climbing in. I was hoping you'd be able to go climb some yourself. <laughs> yes, our own personal climbing goals getting met. <laughs> we got plenty of climbing in for ourselves. 
And also something that we talked about with the Bureau of Land Management for the spring season is getting some of their um, their bi- like uh, biology specialists and rapper specialists to like come out and be at some of the climber coffees and also to train the stewards then uh, so that they're really educated and like on just really prepared to answer questions about the raptor avoidances. Awesome. Well, this is so, uh, just so exciting that this has gotten underway and, you know, having also climbed to the Creek for almost a decade now, you know, I've seen changes myself, uh, mostly probably within the dispersed camping realm. There's definitely, uh, tents popping up in locations that I hadn't seen in the past. And, um, I think that's kind of been the primary thing, but Johanna, how about yourself? I was, I'm curious what, uh, since you've been climbing there for about, you know, a decade now as well, are there any changes that you've seen climbing there for 10 years that, uh, that you want to share and, and highlight a little bit, um, just from when you go there on your own personal time? Yeah. I mean, I've actually only been climbing there for like five, maybe six years. Lauren's been climbing there from closer to 10. Okay. Um, sorry. I had it backwards. No worries. But even in my time there, I have would second what you were saying. I feel like I've really noticed the expansion of uh, existing dispersed campsites and the creation of new ones. So that was definitely a reason that we brought that conversation up very frequently uh, at Climber Coffee. Something else that I noticed was just like an increase in social trails around a lot of the crags, um, particularly ones that don't have as like particularly ones that don't have as great of approach trails um, and just an increase. This is something that people said in the survey as well, but an increase uh, in dog waste better on the human waste front, but increase in dog waste that's either not picked up or is picked up and then left in its bag because someone forgot to grab it on the way out. Yep. They're expecting that poop fairy to swing on through and pick it up for them. Yeah. Right. We, we act (laughs) as the poop fairy sometimes. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. How about you, Lauren? Uh, anything that stands out to you over the, the years that you've been going there? Yeah, I think um, mainly just there is an increase in visitation. I probably felt that the strongest spending time there last fall, like the combination of the pandemic and maybe folks working remote or not being able to work. It felt that was the busiest I had ever felt the creek was. Um and I, I view it as a positive. Like, I think it's great to have more people out and experiencing the outdoors and climbing in that beautiful space. Um, and then the climber stewards are kind of a link to like fill in some of the gaps to keep that going in a, a productive, like healthy way. Um, yeah. And then some of the other things are like just in my like personal journey there, it's like some of the things, and this is, we would talk with people about this, that it feels okay if it's just one person, but then when you it's hundreds or thousands, it's different. So like even when I first climbed there, I think I was like camping at the Bridger Jacks and with the folks I was with, it felt okay to bury poop. Like that was what I thought was okay. And then like my mm-hmm. personal like learning of like, oh, okay. So actually we need to be like packing the poop out um, because when it's just one, maybe that's okay. But then you add, it's the cumulative impacts on like a limited valley. So yeah, just like being open to personal learning and growth. I feel like that's kind of given me good perspective in stepping into this role of like, we all learn things and we all have to evolve. Um, 
to like move forward. Yeah, you put that very eloquently. Um, it's it's funny when people think like, oh, it's just me. Um, like, yeah, you yourself indiv- as an individual may not have a huge impact, but you're not the only one doing it. So it's, the, it's when it all comes together as that cumulative impact. That's when it's yeah, that's when we're going to see a difference and. I've made every mistake in the book, probably. Um, you know, when I was talking to Luke Mihal last weekend, he said the same thing when we first came to the creek. You know, we've made all those same mistakes, and now we're doing our best to change our behavior. And I have changed my behavior for sure. And um, you know, I, I was listening to a podcast yesterday, and this guy was talking about uh, stewardship in the skiing world, and he describes stewardship as just common sense. And I thought that was really great really simple and straight to the point it is a lot of it is common sense and and uh, we just have to manage manage the resource now so we have it later well i want to kind of start wrapping it up start start wrapping it up a little bit here uh put a bow on this thing and i was wondering just if you all if if you've had time to reflect on your season there in the creek and um and what you look forward to for the spring, just maybe a summary or reflection on this first year of the program and what you two take away from seeing hundreds, if not thousands of climbers pass through the, that area this fall. Yeah, I think like for me, the program, I think was very effective and maybe even more effective than I had initially expected it to be. And I felt like with, you know, just me and Lauren on the ground, we made a really positive impact and had a lot of high quality information sharing type of conversations. Um, And in addition to that, I see like the element where we were building those relationships with stakeholders in the area as a super uh, crucial part to the future of the Creek and something that can continue to grow for years to come. Um, And yeah, I just see this as like an opportunity for you know, both climbers and other folks coming through the area to really get connected with the land and learn more about stewardship and grow the possibility to continue to take care of that space so that we can all, like you said, Peter, continue to enjoy it for generations to come. Thanks, Johanna. How about you, Lauren? Yeah, I think reflecting on the season, you know, I learned so much through spending that amount of time in the creek and through the role and I'm left just feeling really inspired and like hungry to continue learning more I think that's like such an important part of like sense of place is like just like when you immerse yourself in it like it's endless like what you can continue to like learn Um, that was really inspiring and getting to share that the relationships that we built like Johanna said um, felt super valuable even like the relationship between us like we didn't know each other coming into this <laughs> so i gained a friend out of the situation great climbing partner <laughs> um and it feels like we created a really solid base for this program to continue to grow like we were the first ones on the ground out there kind of working out some of the kinks like oh no we melted the table or whatever it is <laughs> um, <laughs> so, um I just feel, I feel proud of like, we established like some good baseline and presence for like ourselves and just future stewards of that place to continue to run with that. 
That's great. I can definitely sense the passion coming through there. And I feel inspired. I was getting a few goosebumps there uh, as you reflected on and shared, shared your experience for for the season. And um, yeah, I could tell that both of you love this place just as much as I do. And, and uh, I really look forward to seeing one, if not both of you next spring, I'll definitely make sure to make it a point to stop and, and say hello if I'm, uh, if I'm coming by. Yeah, I can pour you up some coffee, Peter. Oh yeah. Yeah. I'll take free coffee anytime. Um, so I, I asked this last question at the end, at the very end of each episode, and I've gotten some great responses this year. And I think I might change up this, uh, this final question for next year, but let's wrap up 2021 with your responses to what your definition of advocacy is. Yeah, I can, I can go ahead. Um, I think advocacy is taking action to stand up for what you believe in and protecting the special wild places that can't necessarily protect themselves against increased impact from humans. And I really do see education as an essential tool to expand the impact of advocacy in this community and beyond. Yep. I, I love the education part. Thanks. All right, Lauren, bring it home for us. Okay. Yeah. It's a kind of similar vein. Advocacy to me is aligning your values and passions with your actions um, and doing so in a way that uses your own unique like skills, strengths, interests. Um, so bringing your own self to the deal is how I see advocacy. All right. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. I, I really hope you all enjoy this show as much as I enjoy making it. It's a lot of fun putting this together each month for you all to tune in and listen to. So thanks so much for listening. Before you depart, I want to run a few things by you. I started the show to bolster the efforts that these advocates do year after year, and of course to support the mission of Access Fund. So I'd like to ask you to either donate or better yet, become a member of Access Fund. Your support and membership goes a long way to help them with their mission of conserving, stewarding, and advocating for climbing. There are varying levels that you can that you can become a member at, but you can get started for as low as 20 bucks a year, and after that, you can reap all kinds of awesome benefits with first getting a free t-shirt and getting amazing discounts on some of the best climbing products out there. It's all listed on Access Fund's website, accessfund.org, so check it out. If you're a rock climber, please consider becoming a member of Access Fund. Second, if you want to do me a huge solid, please subscribe to the show and leave a glowing review and comment on Apple Podcasts. After that, jump on those social media channels and share it with your friends. It goes a long, long way, and I'd greatly appreciate if you help me out with that one. So thanks again for listening. I really appreciate it. And I'll catch you all next time.